0: Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Monday, August 27th, 2018. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, the three new iPhones that Mark Gurman says are coming our way Warren Buffett invests in an Indian tech company, Palmer Lucky pans magic leap, and why Uber thinks e scooters are cool. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Ah, it's Mark Gurman, Apple Scoop Monday, and this time I didn't miss it. According to Gurman and Debbie Wu's usually reliable sourcing, new 5.8-inch and 6.5-inch OLED iPhones are coming in September. They will be joined by a lower-cost 6.1-inch LCD iPhone, but all of the new iPhones will get speed and camera improvements and all will incorporate the full-screen design Of the iPhone 10s. So while there will be a new range of sizes and possibly colors of this year's iPhone upgrades, you should think of this year's update cycle as more of an S cycle, where the iPhones will look essentially the same as last year, but with updated internals. Quote: There will be a new high-end iPhone internally dubbed D33 with a display that measures about 6.5 inch diagonally, according to the people familiar with the matter. That would make it the largest iPhone by far and one of the biggest mainstream phones on the market. It will continue to have a glass back with stainless steel edges and dual cameras on the back. The big difference on the software side will be the ability to view content side-by-side in apps like Mail and Calendar. It will be Apple's second phone with a crisper organic light-emitting diode or OLED screen, end quote. The 6.1-inch LCD version will apparently have aluminum sides for the purposes of cost reduction. And the expected updates to AirPods, Apple Watch, and iPad Pros are coming next month, according to Gurman as well. Quote, The watches will look similar to current models, but will include larger screens that go nearly edge to edge. Their overall size will remain similar, making them compatible with existing straps, people familiar with the product said the new iPad Pros will come in sizes around 11 inches and 12.9 inches and include slimmer bezels. They'll remove the home button and fingerprint sensing in lieu of an iPhone X-like gesture interface and Face ID for unlocking the tablet, people familiar with the plans said, end quote. But, like a dagger to my heart, German says that the iPod Mini will not be updated. In that same report on the iPhones, German casually mentioned as well, the rumor that has basically become an open secret at this point, that Google is planning to launch the Pixel 3 phones at an event in New York City in early October. Gurman specifically mentions October 9, though others have previously mentioned October fourth. Whenever Warren Buffett makes an investment in a technology company, it's news. Because for one thing... Buffett tends to shy away from tech companies, all things being equal, and two, because Buffett is a value investor. So when he sees an opportunity in tech companies, which are usually so wildly growth-valued, it tends to be a rare thing. So the news out of India's Economic Times that Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway has taken a 3 to 4% stake in Paytm's parent company, 197 Communications, raised quite a few eyebrows. Quote, This would be the first investment by Buffett, who until a few years ago stayed away from even listed technology companies. In a previously held company, that still incurs heavy losses, underlining the potential he sees in India's technology market. There was no response to queries emailed to Berkshire Hathaway, including CFO Mark Hamburg, and to Paytm. What is Paytm? It is India's largest digital wallet and payment service with 230 million registered users. Let me quote from Wikipedia here, of all places. Paytm is available in 10 Indian languages and offers online use cases like mobile recharges, utility bill payments, travel, movies, and events bookings as well as in-store payments at grocery stores, fruit and vegetable shops, restaurants, parking, tolls, pharmacies and education institutions with the payTM QR code end quote." Back to quoting from The Economic Times: PayTM was valued at around $7 billion last year when it raised $1 billion from the Softbank Vision Fund, and valued at around $10 billion earlier this year during a secondary share sale by employees of the company end quote. Remember that story from last week about Microsoft offering a subscription service that included an actual console as well? Well, today it became official. It's called Xbox All Access. As Microsoft's Bogdan Bilan explained to Thorat.com, quote, for no upfront cost and one low monthly price for 24 months, Xbox All Access gets you a new Xbox One S or Xbox One X, access to more than 100 great games through Xbox Game Pass and online multiplayer with Xbox Live Gold. That's more than 100 all-you-can-play games, including highly anticipated new Xbox One exclusives the day they're released. Plus, more games added all the time on the fastest, most reliable gaming network and an Xbox One console, end quote. As rumored, this is not a lease. After the two-year term is up, You own the console, lock, stock, and barrel. Therat calculates that this deal could save gamers about $130 over the life of the subscription. So, gaming as a service indeed. Shout out to the 10-year-old listener out there, whose dad reported to me over the weekend. He learned about recurring revenue by listening to this very story on the show last week. Thank you for your fine taste in podcasts, young sir. Both of these stories are from the weekend, so they're a little stale, but they are follow-ups to stories we've been following for a while, so I didn't want to just leave the narrative thread dangling on you. First, remember that whole taking Tesla private thing? In a blog post late Friday night, Elon Musk was all, JK, JK. In a board meeting this week where bankers were presenting plans to structure a go-private deal. Musk told the board that he had come to believe that Tesla should now remain a public company after all, and the board has apparently agreed with him. In the show notes, there are two stories that give you the minute-by-minute breakdown of how all this took place. The Wall Street Journal one is especially detailed, I think, but TLDR Turns out the Saudis maybe weren't 100 percent on board after all, and Musk's somewhat erratic behavior might have been a factor in that. And then there was the fact that the Saudis would want Tesla to do things like open manufacturing facilities in Saudi Arabia, and Musk is proud that Teslas are made in America. And then there was the weird optics of Elon Musk seemingly being on this crusade to wean the world off of oil, only to potentially get in bed with the biggest petrostate in the world, something that a lot of people pointed out to Musk as being a tad weird. But the biggest problem was the fact that some of Tesla's biggest institutional investors, firms like T. Rowe Price and Fidelity, would be unable to participate in any going private deal as they are unable to invest in private companies, so other investors would need to be found. And indeed, they were found, apparently, several automakers wanted to participate in any take private scheme. But Musk seemingly blanched at that idea because he didn't want to get in bed with the incumbents he so badly wants to unseat in the automobile industry. So it all came down to if Tesla went private, Musk could escape the public market scrutiny and the short sellers he so despises. But to do so, he would likely have had to have bring on board some people who would want a bigger say in what Tesla was doing going forward and essentially people that Musk has looked at as his main competition. So ironically, if going public was a Hail Mary pass to retain the sort of control Musk craves, it seems that he has come to the conclusion that staying public will actually give him a better chance to stay the course. So all that brouhaha for nothing. And remember how Fortnite has avoided the Google Play app store, avoided the app store tax, by instead offering users the ability to sideload the games onto their own devices? Well, one of the arguments that app stores make for their utility is the fact that they can offer greater security to users. Lots of security experts warned that sideloaders could open up a potential Pandora's box of hacking. I read some of those tweets at the time, I believe. And well, it happened. Google disclosed over the weekend that it had discovered an extremely serious vulnerability in Epic's Fortnite installer for Android on the Galaxy App Store that would essentially let any app hijack the game download process during installation to install, well, basically anything a hacker wanted to install on a user's phone, and the user would have no idea that it happened. The vulnerability has apparently since been patched, but if you installed Fortnite on your Samsung phone over the previous few weeks, quote, users simply need to update the installer, which is a one-tap affair. The Fortnite installer that brought the fix is version 2.1.0, which you can check for by launching the Fortnite installer and going to its settings. If you, for whatever reason, were to download an earlier version of Fortnite Installer, it will prompt you to install 2.1.0 or later before installing Fortnite. How do you make a password that's strong enough so no one will guess it, and it's impossible for you to forget, and do it for a hundred different sites, and make it so everyone in your company can do the same without ever needing to reset them? Sounds impossible unless you have 1Password. More than any other product I've ever told you about, I can vouch 1,000% for 1Password. I can't live without it. OnePassword password makes strong security easy for your people and gives you the visibility you need to take action when you need to. Any device, any time, 1Password lets you securely switch between iPhone, Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like Autofill for quick sign-ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else. Your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. 1Password's award-winning password manager is trusted by millions of users and over 100,000 businesses from IBM. To to Slack. It beat out forty other options to become Wirecutter's top pick for password managers. Right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at onepassword.com/slash ride for your growing business. That's two free weeks at onepassword.com slash ride. Don't let security slow your business down. Go to onepassword.com slash ride. t-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code RIDE. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code RIDE. The Magic Leap AR headset has been out for several weeks now. There have been mixed reviews and teardowns, the whole nine yards. One very prominent reviewer, has a review out this morning, and it's fairly savage, however. Palmer Lucky is the founder of Oculus, and he posted his impressions of Magic Leap on his personal blog under the title, Magic Leap is a Tragic Heap. I'll allow Palmer to explain in his own words, quote, The title of this review was carefully chosen, not glibly. I want what is best for VR and all other technologies on the virtual reality continuum, Magic Leap included. Unfortunately, their current offering is a tragedy in the classical sense, even more so when you consider how their massive funding and carefully crafted hype sucked all the air out of the room in the AR space. It is less of a functional developer kit and more of a flashy hype vehicle that almost nobody can actually use in a meaningful way, and many of their design decisions seem to be driven by that reality. It does not deliver on almost any of the promises that allowed them to monopolize funding in the AR investment community." End quote. The piece has a fairly detailed and fairly technical takedown of the Magic Leap technology itself. Let me jump to the conclusion. Quote, Magic Leap needed to really blow people away to justify the last few years. The product they put out is reasonably solid but is nowhere close to what they had hyped up and has several flaws that prevent it from becoming a broadly useful tool for development of AR applications. That is not good for the XR industry. It is slightly better than HoloLens in some ways, slightly worse than others, and generally a small step past what was state-of-the-art three years ago. This is more HoloLens 1.1 than Consumer AR 1.0. Consumer AR can't happen without advancements, and it seems those advancements will be coming from other companies. There is, of course, a chance that Magic Leap is sandbagging us. Maybe the real deal is just behind the next curtain. Past experience suggests otherwise. Finally today, the Financial Times has an interview with Uber CEO Dara Khosrowshahi, where he gives voice to the strategy that Uber has clearly committed to since Khosrowshahi himself took the reins of the company. For shorter trips, things like bikes, e-scooters, and other modes of transportation just make more sense than cars. Uber wants to be your one-stop solution for transportation, and so Khosrowshahi felt like Uber had to own this vector in the market rather than cede it to other players. And Uber intends to follow through on this, even though it takes the company outside its core competency of ride hails. Quote, during rush hour, it is very inefficient for a one-ton hulk of metal to take one person 10 blocks. We're able to shape behavior in a way, and that's a win for the user. It's a win for the city. Short-term financially, maybe it's not a win for us, but strategically, long-term, we think that it is exactly where we want to head, end quote. If you'll recall, Uber added e-bikes to its app in February, acquired bike-sharing company Jump in April, and has struck deals with various e-scooter companies, including Lime, among others. Shahi admits that Uber makes less money from these car alternatives. And then there's the fact that Uber drivers are cut out of this deal as well. But Shahi is willing to take that risk. Quote, We are willing to trade off short-term per-unit economics for a longer-term, higher engagement. I've found in my career that engagement over the long term wins wars, and sometimes it's worth it to lose battles in order to win wars. Hey guys, I want to run an experiment if you'll help me out. We've got two open ad slots this week and three open in the month of September. I love all of our sponsors, of course, but I wanted to see if maybe we could do something a little different and open up these particular ad slots to a different kind of sponsor. Are you a developer of anything? An app, a service, even a game or something like that. You could be a solo dev, maybe especially if you're a solo dev or a small team, a small company, but big company too, doesn't matter. If you were interested in, snapping up one of these unsold ad slots get in touch at the email address podcast at techmeme.com for less than $500 you can get your little project in front of just under 20,000 super engaged tech focused podcast listeners every day what I'm thinking of is do you have a product or project the size of which maybe you would promote on product hunt that's sort of what I'm interested in finding out I wanna learn if there's any value to small or medium-sized projects advertising on the pod. If not, no big deal. We have great sponsors, as I say, and they seem happy with us because they keep re-upping. And if we don't sell our ad slots in a day like today, it's no big deal, that's cool. But I'm actually genuinely interested to see if this podcast could also become a platform for new and maybe indie or upcoming products and projects, the sort of projects that you see promoted on Product Hunt. If we could become a platform for indie devs as well as established companies, I just think that would be cool. So if you want to experiment with me and you have any sort of promo budget at all, as I said, it's affordable. Get in touch. Podcast at Talk to you tomorrow.